Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel, joined as always during football season by my main man, David Simone. And uh, David, it's good to be a Cincinnati Bearcat right now. It is. It's nice to be 5-0. and 5-0. and Everything looks up. Everything is positive. Uh, the team is ahead of schedule. Did we have them at, for the most part, 4-1? I think when we did our preview going into, uh, yeah, I, I think so. I think we kind of, if I remember correctly, we we both kind of thought we'd get more out of UCLA, and that would, uh, you know, probably be a loss. And we both and had Ohio U of, as a toss-up, right? So it was kind of like a, a, a you know, four and one, three and two. I don't think we really gave much thought to to five and zero based didn't. solely on the on the UCLA game and um, but yeah it's uh, I think there's you know we'll, we'll get into it I think in our special bye week uh, podcast that we'll be talking about in a little bit but there's a lot to talk about for the first you know six games hopefully after another win this week just about you know where this team is compared to kind of where we thought it would be going into this season we'll get to the two lane game and homecoming here shortly uh we don't have a guest this week so we will uh we'll switch it up just a little bit and we will talk uh the the win last week first but before we do that as we talk about the win special thanks to taft's brewing company taft's brewporium for hosting the first BCJ watch watch party, uh, which I thought was a fantastic success, uh, Dave. I think I might have a new favorite food. Oh, really? It's the beer cheese at Taft's. Oh, well, unfortunately, I couldn't make it, uh, but I did break my Bengal streak, so that was made for a wonderful trip to Atlanta. So I'm looking forward to our next trip to the Brewporium so I can try some of that. Um, I actually, uh, I got it with the garlic knots, which I'm, I'm a big garlic knots guy. Love garlic knots. And when I was done with the garlic knots, I continued dipping my finger in the beer cheese and eating it, which is pretty. <laughs> the best kind of cheese, finger it was, cheese. It was unbelievably good. It was one of those, like, when you eat something for the first time and you take the bite of it and you look at it like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Uh, but an excellent turnout, a lot of UC fans, the entire place was, uh, was packed with UC people, uh, a lot of cheering when good things happened, um, a lot of, uh, happiness as they trounced the Yukon Huskies, and we are going to be back at Taft three times in October. We will be there on October 13th with a bi-week live podcast with special guest Tony Pike. So everyone is invited to join, and uh, we'll have some Q&A with Tony. Uh, like I said, Dave and I will do a podcast. We'll talk Bearcats. We'll talk AAC, talk a little national, um, have a lot of fun with that. That is going to be uh, the 13th, like I said. Uh, we are still finalizing the details on time. It's going to be uh, late afternoon, uh, evening-ish. Um, just have to... to Tony, uh, as you know, Tony, as, as, as some know, Tony works out quarterbacks, uh, high school and, and youth quarterbacks in the area. He's a quarterback coach. 
and he's got appointments that day, and we're just finalizing exactly what time uh, is going to be best for him and to work with Taft's schedule uh, at the Brewporium. So uh, from what, I, what I'm anticipating, sometime late afternoon, early evening, uh, we will be at Taft's. Excellent pizza. Uh, I've had the pizza multiple times now. It is very, very good. And like I said, I wanted to just drink the beer cheese, but I, I thought that might be frowned upon. Um, you drank beers instead. I did have I did have a couple beers. I had a family function uh, to attend after I left. It was my aunt and uncle's fortieth uh, wedding anniversary, um, so I had to go straight there afterwards. So I had to be responsible. Uh, I didn't get too wild, uh, but but it was a good time. Carrie Hoffman got wild. Oh. He got wild. Now, <laughs> Carrie joined us. Uh, he had a he had a good time, and um, I don't know if you know Tony or not, but Wrath of uh, Bearcat message board fame over the past fifteen years, a good friend of mine, uh, stopped in before his inevitable move to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, um, Traverse City, Michigan. It's, it's up there. It's way up there. He actually had to leave at like 4.30 in the morning, Sunday morning, to get up there for something at noon. I was like, oh, ouch. Yeah, that's that's up there. That's way up there. Uh, But uh, a a great time. Uh, The Den was there. Uh, There were some guys from the Republic of Cincinnati there. So if you're familiar with the tailgate scene and the tailgate groups, um, it is very much a a space that you're welcome to come and join us. You don't have to be a BCJ member. Uh, I know a lot of people listen to this podcast uh, that aren't so you can you're you're more than welcome to come if you're not a BCJ member. Uh, I'll probably try to talk you into it while you're there. Um, but ju- ju- and great beer. Uh, I I know. Uh, I had I went with Oktoberfest their Oktoberfest beer. I'm a big Oktoberfest lager guy and uh, enjoyed some of those. And I saw everybody else sampling a little bit of everything. So uh, it was it was great. We had a we had a blast. So we'll be there the 13th, and then we'll be there for the back to back away games at Temple and at SMU. So the 13th, the 20th, and the 27th, uh, we will be at Taft's having a watch party for the Bearcats uh, on the two road games and then a live podcast on the 13th. And Dave will get to join us this time. We're looking forward to having you. We will be celebrating my birthday on the 13th, so anyone that wants to come buy me a beer for my birthday, please do. We'll be celebrating my birthday on the 13th. Yeah, so buy beer for Chad as well. Your birthday's early. My birthday's late, right? Your birthday's before yeah, the 10th. Mine is the 10th. Mine is the 17th. So we were born exactly, well, not exactly, seven <laughs> days apart. There's a few years between us. couple of years. Just a couple. Um, I, I'll be hitting 41. So my wife. Nothing, my, my wife. Nothing special. My wife ethered me the other day. Ethered me the other day. So there's. Making uh, fun of your no, age. Well, no, well. So, obviously, there was a lot going on at this point in time last year um, as we found out that, that she was sick and everything. So, um, th- there's uh, someone in our family that, that's turning, uh, you know, hitting a milestone uh, birthday. So, they're having a surprise party for said member of the family coming up. And uh, I said, you know, maybe we could just, like, retrograde my 40th birthday party into it since I didn't get one. And this is in a family group text. And she texts back, sorry, cancer, it slipped my mind. Ow! (laughs) Yeah. Ow! No, sorry, got cancer, it slipped my mind. Brutal! Just bodied me. 
Was, yeah. It's like, okay, I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> oh, but let's get into the Bearcats and the Huskies, uh, a game that I thoroughly enjoyed from the Taft's Brewporium. Uh, boy, UConn's defense is absolutely as bad as advertised. Every yes, bit as is. bad as advertised. Uh, it is. It was. It was uh, kind of exactly what we talked about. I mean, yeah. they're incredibly young, incredibly inexperienced, and Bad. you saw that on countless, countless plays. Um, their defensive end on the right side didn't appear to know what his, what his own read or his own option was because he just crashed every time, and that was – one big reason Dez had his one real long run in the first half. Um, they couldn't really cover Josiah DeGora at all. They um, played. They played. I had flashbacks. Their corners were 15 yards off the line of scrimmage every snap. Yeah, it was kind of just pitch and catch. I mean, you know what? Pretty much exactly what we talked about last week on the podcast. They just they don't have any guys right now. No, it was. I mean, it, you think about it. Cincinnati scored forty nine points, gained six hundred and fifty nine yards of offense, and called off the dogs early in the third quarter. Oh, <laughs> about, yeah. about the midway point of the third quarter, called off the dogs. Mm-hmm. And it was no more evident than the end of the first half. Uh, UConn misses a field goal. They go straight down the field and score in 40 seconds. And then come out to start the second half. They get the ball. And two plays later, Josiah DeGara is walking into the end zone after a great one-handed, left-handed grab. Um, that, that that one almost got away from Des Ritter a little bit. He almost led him a little bit too far. But DeGara got that left mid out there. Um, really, really good to see him having an outstanding junior season because we've seen in practice over the past couple of years, he had great hands and he ran good routes and he was, you know, a guy that, that you could foresee down the road. He was going to be a guy that could make some plays at the tight end position. And over the last three games, he has really just busted out and become a very, very critical part of this offense and a, an excellent safety valve for Desmond Ritter. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely been, his go-to receiver, whether it's on those, you know, those drags or now in the UConn game, where I like seeing that they used him more vertical because uh, it just makes the defense now have to kind of cover him a different way. Most of the stuff he was getting in the first four games were just quick throws that he would turn up field and either beat a defensive end or a linebacker for well, yeah, they, they were just making teams pay for selling out to stop Mike Warren. Right. And they'd run play action. Nice. They'd, they'd run play action. They'd slip out to Guara and he'd be wide open. You know, there'd be 20 yards of grass in front of him. Right. Now the, the two main, the two long, th- long completions he had, um, you know, were both, you know, him kind of running the seam. And in the first half, one more so on that drive right before halftime down the sideline. So, you know, I feel like the playbook 
is expanding. It'll be interesting to see. Unfortunately, with with Garrett Campbell's injury, crushing how that changes. Just because they, and I don't know the percentages, but it feels like they were very heavy run between the guards. Um, yeah, and so how does that change with a new center who's not? You know, six four, six five, three fifteen. Do you see more Charles McClellan trying to get to the outside? Do you see more Mike Warren off tackle instead of you know, kind of in the you know A B gap, so to C gap, so or A B gap, so to speak? Um, it'll just be interesting. I, I mean, it's a it's a big loss. I mean, he from a leadership standpoint and and from a play standpoint. I mean, he. He even said to us he's, that guard is, or center was not his most comfortable position. And that was really hard to tell through the first yeah, he was four games. So, he, you know, they the offensive line, I think, had exceeded uh, expectations uh, pretty, pretty widely when you look at the whole package, run blocking, pass blocking, especially compared to last year. So, I mean, that'll be a, a big thing to watch as, we go into the season. I think it probably helps Jakari a little bit that he get into the game, has another game, and then has a bye. So, you know, they'll get a little time off, but then he'll get that extra practice. Um, but then the schedule definitely, definitely toughens up. The second half is definitely tougher than the first. So we'll see what, what he's kind of made of. Yeah, I it just I feel terrible for Garrett. One, I love the kid. Um, and he's not even a kid. He's been here for 12 years. He's like as old as Morgan James. Um, <laughs> no one's as old as Morgan James. <laughs> there, there's guys at BYU going, how old is he? Um, yeah. But a heartbreaking outcome for him. I, I know he's really hoping he can, he can make it back um, by the end of the season, a bowl game. Um, I, I think it would be awesome to see him, you know, work his way back. Uh, I was, and it's hard to tell because it, that UConn defense is so bad, but it, at least it was good after, and really the, the bad snap was more Jakari was trying to get out into protection and he kind of aimed right with his head and the ball went the other way. And actually, what, mm. what should have happened is Mike Warren should have just grabbed it. Well, they, they both kind of did. And yeah. It was like they both reached for it, and then they both kind of pulled away. Like, oh, the other one's going to get it. Yeah. And then it dropped. Um, but it was good to see them get, you know, defensively. I think that that was the defining moment for the defense as they were able to pretty much immediately stop UConn. Uh, and and not get burned, you know, by – well, UConn went down the field and got missed the field goal, right, after that? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they were able to get the stop there, fortunate with the missed field goal. Um, but that kind of, I think, kept the ball rolling for them because a- after that first drive when UConn went right down the field, the defense just dominated UConn's offense. Uh, I know you, you told me you had heard Pendell was still hurt, but – he wasn't near the threat that I thought he was going to be with his legs. I, that kid throws a great deep ball, though. Well, 
he has enough practice because I feel like that was the only route they tried. Um, they threw it a lot. Yeah, I mean, they threw it a lot. They had virtually no running game, especially if if he was still kind of banged up from the week before. They got that huge tight end that they tried to get the ball to a ton. He's good, but again, they just they just don't have any dudes, right? And you know. We are familiar he's, with he's, what that looks like, and that's what it looked like. He's good, but I mean, not that good, right? And if he's, you know, if he's hobbled a little bit, and just the defense is just so bad that it it makes it even harder on their offense, I think, to to try to do anything because they basically know if we don't score, we're probably giving up a touchdown. Yeah. Um, I don't have a whole lot more on UConn, do you? No. <laughs> I will say the one thing that was interesting to me, um, kind of late in the game when they were they were making changes on the offensive line, Lorenz Metz went in at left tackle with Vince McConnell at left guard. Now, uh, Jeremy Cooper um, has been out with a, with a sprained knee uh, since the Alabama A&M game, who had been kind of the second guy at left guard. Um, but I thought that was interesting to see maybe a glimpse into, I don't know that it's necessarily what you would see if, if he was needed this year, but maybe a glimpse into next year with Mets at left tackle and Darius Harper at right tackle and, and adjusting to figure out what the interior would look like around them. I mean, you figure Morgan James is going to be at right guard. Um, with his return, uh, but what left guard would look like, you know, maybe McConnell, maybe Zach Byzinski, uh, who is working with the second team there now, but probably we'll see him less there because he's now going to probably move back to center primarily as the, the backup to Jakari. Um, yeah, Byzinski was in with the starters. I think they're, once the game they got gave to like Trout, 35 yeah, they gave Trout they a gave rest. Trout. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't. I think maybe it's just more of a <clears throat> situational thing with Cooper out. McConnell doesn't strike me as a guard. He seems to be, to me, more of a tackle. Um, but, you know, I don't see the problem in in working him there in, in that type of a game situation, especially with the center situation and then also Cooper being out. So, uh, Bazinski's, you know, acquitted himself well. And then you have Cooper, you have Morgan James, you know, seeing what happens at the center position with Jakari next year. So I think it's it's maybe more of just, you know, giving guys the shot. And if you're, you know, if Mets is going to play, somebody has to kick in. He is definitely not a guard. So it seems like right now McConnell would be that guy in that third team, so to speak, in a, in a blowout type game. Yeah, and I, I just think it's interesting to, you know, I don't think it really says anything about this year. It no, just, definitely not. It just maybe gives you an eye on where their mind is at for the future. I, I think that's how, you know, that's how I look at it at least. Maybe you look at it differently, but that's how I saw. No, and, I do. So, I do. That's what I think. Um, so I'm going to try to get it right this whole time. I'm going to try not to say Tulsa. Uh, Golden Hurricane, Green Wave. Green jacket, gold jacket. Yeah, I mean, it's all this. The, they're the same. It's the same. Now, granted, New Orleans is a lot better than than Tulsa. 
Uh, <laughs> don't, don't get me oh, wrong there. Oh, oh, allegedly. Allegedly. Uh, however, I'm going to try to keep it to Tulane and, and not mention Tulsa uh, throughout this segment. I, it probably means I should just let you do most of the talking. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't know what to think of them. And now even more, I don't know what to think of them as they beat the absolute snot out of Memphis on Friday night. Uh, they were having a pretty rough start to the season. I mean, they played Wake Forest close. Uh, they were pretty, they were they were in there with Ohio State until halftime, and then shot themselves in the foot a couple times, and it became a blowout really quick. Um, but then they, I mean, they just curb stomped Memphis and and completely shut down Memphis running game. Yes, I I kind of agree. Like I don't know. I kind of don't know what to make of them, but I kind of look at it as like, okay, throughout the OSU game, because when you look at their numbers, I think that skews things a lot. And then kind of also throughout the Memphis game. So you take out their good and their bad, and what are they there? A home loss to Wake, a loss at UAB, and they beat Nichols State. But, you know, just looking at what their most recent result, yeah, they crushed Memphis. They're up 40-14 to 14 in the second half. Memphis added 10 meaningless points. Uh, Daryl Henderson, Memphis's great running back. First play of the game, 47-yard touchdown run. Rest of the game, six carries, four yards. Yeah. They had, they had eight sacks against Memphis. They only have 13 on the entire year. <laughs> so it's like, I, well, I, don't, I, I don't know. It begs this question. Does that game say more about Tulane or does it say more about Memphis? And that's what we're going to find out a, this week. I think it's after seeing Memphis lose at Navy, I think it maybe says more about Memphis. I think maybe that's they're not. Maybe they're not as good as some thought going into the season. Um, well, I think the, the the biggest factor in this game, Tulane is 116th in the country in passing defense, allowing 292 yards a game, and Memphis couldn't throw the ball. Right. So if you can't take advantage of their weakness, I think that says more about you than what it says about them. Now, what you have to be concerned about a little bit is is Tulane is pretty good against the run. They were dominant against the run against Memphis. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I don't know. I, I it's it's perplexing. This one's this one's hard to get to get my head around. Even what five days later? Yeah, I mean they they just Tulane's just got some really weird numbers that kind of contradict themselves, like. Okay, their offense has some legit talent. Like, I've never been good. big on their. I've never, I've never been big on him. I think he is a, a total boomer bust quarterback. Like, on the road this year, he's a under forty percent passer completion percentage. That's not good. Which that that's awful. But then they have, like, two wide receivers. Who are their only wide receivers, really? Darnell Mooney and Taryn Onkalad, who have more than five catches. Like, nobody else besides them have more than five catches. But both of those guys average over 18 yards per catch 
and have a combined 800-plus yards and six touchdowns. Yeah. Their two running backs are pretty darn good. Darius Bradwell and Corey Defeen or something like that. I mean, Bradwell has twice as many carries, but the other guy is averaging 10.2 yards per carry on 37 carries. And they've got 750 yards and nine touchdowns. They hit the big play a lot. So that's kind of the thing that I've seen is they've got two passing touchdowns of 74 and 51 yards and two rushing touchdowns of 69 and 53 yards. But then they only have eight red zone trips all year. So either they hit a big play for a touchdown or they punt is what it seems like. Yeah. Because they've scored like 17 points against Wake. Obviously, the 40 against Memphis, and then I think they only scored like six points against Ohio State. So they're kind of either big play or or punt because total offense is 75th. Their offensive line is terrible in pass protection. They've given up 19 sacks. That's 125th in the country. Third down defense, 118. You mentioned the pass passing yards. Their pass efficiency defense is 92nd. And they're, I know not, I they're not this. great rushing either. They're 64th. They give up 156.2 right. rushing yards a game. Yeah. I mean, they were dominating against Memphis, but. I mentioned stop rate last week because I think that's a better indicator than total defense because total defense is just yards allowed. Yeah. And you can give up three 70 yard drives and the team misses a field goal, turns it over, and that hurts your total defense. But stop rate is. Do you stop them? Do they not score? Do they punt? Do they turn it over? Do they miss a field goal? They're 103rd in stop rate. They're giving up 2.4 points per drive. UC has fallen to third in stop rate. They're giving up 0.95 points per drive. Here's kind of an indicator of last year to this year. Last year they were 116th in stop rate at 52.7%. This year they're third at over 82%. That shows you how much better the defense has been this year than last year. Yeah, I mean, I they, they're just, it's the weird, one of the weirdest, like, resumes, one of the weirdest teams I've, I've experienced doing this. Right. I mean, they had their really good game where they probably played over their skis at home against Memphis, and they got smoked at Ohio State, which pretty much everyone's going to get smoked at Ohio State. So I just kind of look at their other three games. That's probably what their mean is. Yeah, that's fair. And so, you know, and you, they have players. They can make plays. But over the course of a game, you know, Jonathan Banks is not as much of a running threat this year as he was before. He's not running the ball near as much. Um, probably because they have – two solid running backs, they have two solid receivers, but I mean, you know, you can kind of game plan for that. They're not throwing the ball to anybody else but those two guys. And they're going to try to run the ball and beat you over the top. And I, just, I don't I don't know. Yeah. Um, offense is going to be interesting because the kid from Memphis is more of a speed guy, isn't he? Um, no, I would say he's, he's probably a little faster than, but I mean, he's know. more of an outside runner, isn't he? I mean, yeah, I guess he's a bigger guy. I mean, he's not like a, 
McClellan. Um, he's he's more Mike Warren than he is McClellan. Okay. I'm just think, but, um, I'm just thinking of the the success they had against Memphis. Of course, that that's pretty easy when they can't throw, and when they do try to throw, you just sack them eight times. Well, here's how bad Memphis was on offense. They ran 16 plays in the first half. I remember what that was like the last two years. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. you, you, so, you, get, you get five series, you run 16 plays, you get one first down. Yeah, I've been there. I've seen that. Mm-hmm. I returned that so, movie to Blockbuster. And I didn't rewind. I, <laughs> I just feel like where you see is they have a great deal of confidence right now. Um, you know, outside of the Campbell injury, they're you know, incredibly healthy um, from a you know a starter in in two deep standpoint, playing at home. You know, I'm sure Luke's probably not really going to mention it, but you know those guys are t- thinking about getting that sixth win. Um. I just I I see the offense continue to expand. They got more, you know, more receivers involved this week against UConn. You know, they got the other running backs more involved. I just I kind of see this not the same thing as the UConn game. Tulane is probably you know significantly better than them, but you know this team is scoring points, which we haven't seen the last couple of years. So you know I don't really see their offense outscoring them and you know they played a terrible first half against OU and still scored 34 points and was able to win they didn't play that great of a first half against UConn really and scored 21 no yeah I mean they so it's like last year you play that first half you're you didn't have that switch to go score 27 in the second half and get yourself back in the game right um Running back is, is going to be interesting going forward. Um, we now know officially, I've been hinting at this for a couple weeks now because it, it had sounded like things were going in this direction. Uh, Jared Dokes probably done for the year. Chance he comes back. That door wasn't completely closed. Um, Tavion Thomas and Charles McClellan now are not going to redshirt. I, I, McClellan, I think, has already played five games. Yeah, he's played in every game. So he wasn't going to redshirt anyway. But now you're going to see more of Tavion Thomas. Uh, he he flattened a couple dudes from UConn. I just laugh when he runs. It's so funny. He's going to flatten dudes for the next three or four years. <laughs> it's so funny. Because, like, I, I think there was a, a safety that came up and tried to hit him. And it's just like, poop. <laughs> guys down. Well, I just can't, I can't wait to see when he gets. A head full of steam. winter work, full work, full winter workout, full summer workout. In, oh, that's a monster of a human being. He looks like mm-hmm. a lot of teams' defensive ends already. Well, he was the same size as one of UConn's defensive tackles. Yeah, he was. <laughs> um, so you're going to see more of those two guys, and I think that allows you at this point, now that you have some certainty on that, now that a decision has been made on uh, Dokes, you know for sure what's going on. Now I, I think you can 
take the the leash off of those two guys a little bit more often. Um, we did see McClelland in there a little bit early, like in the first half, um, getting a couple snaps, which, uh, like we talked, against OU, I think McClelland took one snap, maybe two snaps, and Mike Warren took all of the rest. Well, Thomas played in the first half against UConn, too. Yeah. Um, that, so you're you're starting to get him a little bit more of a breather. Uh, and if you think about it, really, two of the last three games, he only carried six times against Alabama A&M, and he only carried 13 times against UConn. Uh, now, he's still got his yardage, as, yeah. he, is, as he is apt to do. Um, they've had a 100-yard rusher in all five games. How about that? I think the last two seasons they had a total of two. <laughs> they've had a 100-yard yeah. rusher in all five games this year. It's a little different. So, yeah, I think I'm with you. I mean, I just I'm trying to just get my head around Tulane. They just don't make any sense. But this is you know barring another very slow start, and that this team has to get over that. I know that has been a problem for a couple years, and they're they're getting they're not doing as much self inflicted damage. At the start of games, they did a little bit against Ohio U, but Ohio U, I thought, more than anything, I thought Ohio University's offensive coordinator was brilliant in the first half of that game. I thought he had UC's defense guessing pretty much the entire first half. I think they're pretty much over that. I mean... But they're still. They started slow again against UK. It was fourteen to seven until the last minute of the first half. I mean, that, no, but I mean, so I look at that as like truly like I wouldn't really. I wouldn't call that starting slow because UConn went down and scored. UC went right down and scored. They held them and then they went right down and scored again. So their first two drives were touchdowns. Their third drive would have been a touchdown if not for the yeah, fumble. That's fair. And then I guess the I thing the, the, on, the big I think thing they was on their fourth drive. And then scored on their fifth drive. Yeah, I guess the big thing was those, and, and what I wasn't contemplating when I said that, those first couple drives were like slow grinding clock drives. Oh, yeah, both of them were. Six minutes, five, five and a half, minute, six minutes, yeah. Yeah, plus five minute double digit play drive. So, um, you know, they weren't the, the you know, four, four play, you know, get a 30, 40 yard play in there. But, I mean, they scored a touchdown on three of their five drives, and on one of them they fumbled on the 10-yard line yeah. or whatever. So Fair. Fair. Uh, I, I just I, – I don't know. I, I guess I'm still haunted by demons past on those slow starts. <laughs> Can you blame me? Well, no, but I think the the thing we can look at is that they have the firepower now to dig themselves out of that hole. Well, I think they've been making great adjustments. Where, where they did not have that last year. Yeah. I mean, for all intents and purposes, these two, the UConn and Cincinnati teams that played last week were pretty much the same teams that played each other last year. And that game was 22-21, to 21, and UC basically needed a a miracle to to win it in regulation, and they got it. Yeah, and those those two teams this year didn't look anywhere near the same teams. 
that game might have gone 15 overtimes at 21, 22 to 22 last year. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't really have a whole lot else on Tulane, do you? Uh, no, not really. Prediction? That's what I was getting to. Um, 35-21 Cincinnati. Man, we are we are very close. I was thinking thirty four twenty four, thirty four twenty something something along those lines. We've been pretty close every game this year. Yeah, I'm a little trep, little reluctant to say thirty four though because they've done nothing but score touchdowns. Good job of not having to kick field goals. That's why I said thirty five because they have just <laughs> put, they have put the ball in the end zone at a shocking rate, especially so, when they get close. Yeah, so, you know, kicking two field goals would mean that's one more than they've made all year. Yeah. Um, I want to so, talk for a minute. I want to I want to look something up. So, I'm, I'm thinking 34, 34-20, <laughs> 34-24, something like that. I mean, I think Tulane's got some weapons, you know, kind of similar to, like, <laughs> OU. They've got good running backs, they're going to, you know, they got good receivers, I think they're going to make their plays, but they just seem too erratic, too inconsistent to to string several drives and hit several big plays against the defense that, you know, I think it's very fair to say is significantly better than any defense they've played this year outside of maybe Ohio State. And really, if you just if we're just going numbers, UCU's defense has been way better than Ohio State's. Now, obviously, opponent has a lot to do with that. Um, but, you know, I don't think Memphis's defense is anywhere near what UC's is. UAB's defense is nowhere near what UC's defense is. Wake Forest. I think gave up half a hundred to Notre Dame. You know, they held Tulane at Tulane to 17 points. I just, I feel like UC is just in a different spot right now compared to to where they have been and against Tulane. Um, I'm almost done with my research. <laughs> I'm almost there. I got one more thing to look at. Well, we'll need to touch briefly on... So our newest commit as well. Yes, I got it. You know how many how many yards loss Michael Warren has been stopped for this year through five games? Uh, seven. No. Four. Four. He's, he's been he had one tackle for loss for one yard against UCLA, and I don't know how many against Miami. But he had three yards for a loss, ran for three yards for a loss against Miami, and then has not been tackled behind the line of scrimmage since. None against Alabama A&M, none against Ohio U, none against UConn. The thing to me that is amazing with him is his ability, even if the play is blown up, even if he should be stopped for a one- or two-yard loss, he finds a way to get positive yardage every 
time. Think about how many times he's run the ball this year. Think about all the yards he's ran for. He's one of the top running backs in the country. He's number two in the nation in touchdowns. He touches the he, 35 carries in the UCLA game, 29 carries in the Miami game, a ton of carries in the Ohio U game. He's been stopped for a loss of total four yards. That's really ridiculous. good. Ridiculous. That's, that's a big reason. He's a big reason. I think, you know, when we talk about red zone offense and how successful they've been in scoring Absolutely. touchdowns, I think they have, in my opinion, the three most critical parts to be a good red zone offense. They have a power running game. They have a big, you know, big offensive line with a power back. They have a mobile quarterback who can run on his own and has to keep, you know, make defenses aware, and they have a tight end threat. Because when you get down in there, the yard, the field is condensed. There's just less plays you can run. Yeah. So your fa- your fast wide receivers, it doesn't matter if they're fast, they can only run 11 yards or 12 yards, you know, whatever it might right. be. So you need other ways to generate yards and to have multiple plays. You just have a smaller playbook. So I will also having, add, they're, being, they're becoming very dangerous in the slot as well. Right. So, I mean, and that's where the tight end kind of works in as well, is mismatching whether it's linebackers or safeties or, or things like that. But, I mean, you get down there inside the five-yard line, they're, so far they've been virtually unstoppable because no one can make a play on Mike Warren. And as we saw in the UConn game, you give it to him a couple times, he doesn't get in. They're just expecting because that's, he's got ten touchdowns, he gets a lot of the carries. And then Dez just keeps it and, and can walk into the end zone. So it's it's a very hard defense to or offense to stop in what should be an easier place to stop teams because most teams when they get down in there they stay spread out right and they they stay in shotgun which UC does too which I don't really love I don't understand nobody being on the nobody goes line. under center anymore I know. It's a, I don't get it, but anyway, either nobody way, nobody has their quarterback put his hands in those stinky places. Most teams <laughs> just stay spread. UC brings everybody in and just says, "You're not big enough, strong enough to keep us out of the end zone." Yeah, it's been very good. Uh, you mentioned the commit Dorian Holloway uh, from Columbus, six foot three, two hundred pound uh, athlete. I know. Brady Collins has to be salivating at a guy with that kind of frame uh, already being brought into the program uh, to play the sniper position. They've been very picky at this spot. They have not brought a lot of guys in. Um, They've moved guys around to see who works at that spot. They have not brought a lot of guys in. The only guy really they've brought in um, that that has spent any time there has been R.J. Potts. Um, they, They had Tyrell Gilbert there last year. Malik Clements there this year. They are looking forward to the future of that position. Um, Dorian Holloway, I'm sure most of the people listening uh, have have read up on all the things we've had to say about him. But he went to a high school last year that was very uh, focused on basketball, very good basketball program, not a very good football program. Uh, he was he was not really focusing on football. He was more focused on basketball. He transfers to Marion Franklin. And from everybody I've talked to and from what we've seen looking at the huddle video, he's put out some impressive tape. Um, 
I'm told Michigan State was starting to push and were trying to get him up to campus for a potential offer uh, after seeing his tape, and that's why this moved uh, maybe as fast as it did because Cincinnati kind of got the jump on him. He came down, he visited for the Ohio U game, he got an offer. A week and a half later, he commits to Cincinnati. Uh, We've heard my thoughts, we've heard Shane's thoughts. What are your thoughts on what you've seen from this kid so far? I mean, he seems like he kind of fits that new wave defensive player for a program like UC. Um, You know, probably not big enough to be the true linebacker, but not fast enough to be the true safety. So you kind of invent a hybrid outside linebacker slash nickel cover the tight end defender. He seems very physical. He has he plays some offense, plays some defense, has good good skills with, with the ball in his hands, has a couple interceptions. He looks comfortable, you know, playing the ball then and carrying it. He's, he's quick sideline to sideline. So, I mean, with his size being what it is, it, it definitely, you know, if he can keep the speed when they obviously are going to add some weight to him, he, he's definitely an intri- looks to be an intriguing option moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think he fits exactly, you know, what they're trying to uh, accomplish at that position. Um, Shane thinks he's the second best prospect in the class. I know Shane is very high on Trey Tucker. Uh, I, I would not have either of those guys behind Justin Harris. Um, I think in terms of long-term potential and what he already is, I think Harris is pretty clearly – uh, the best prospect in this class. But I get where Shane is coming from with that in terms of, you know, looking at this kid's size and looking at they don't, like I mentioned, they don't have a lot in front of him at that position. And they don't, they also don't have a ton of depth at safety where you're going to keep moving guys down. You're not putting james wiggins in that spot you're not putting Derek forrest in that spot because right part of the reason the defense is so good is because you've got those two guys at the back end so i i think it was critical to get somebody in that spot and this appears to be a guy that you know this is kind of uh and this has been mentioned on the board fickle was known for this a lot at ohio state before urban meyer got there he recruited quite a few guys before they really went all national and started recruiting the elite of the elite. He was known for kind of finding guys that that were like this kid maybe that you know just started to bust out his senior year and and really started to jump on the scene and next thing you know he shows up at Ohio State and and becomes a, a starter for multiple years and he said quite a few guys like that end up in the NFL. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna trust his evaluation on this one, especially with the kids' measurables, and like you mentioned, good hands, looks to be very physical. Uh, there's a lot of him just blowing up people uh, from the safety spot on the tape that he's got out there for his for his senior season, and um, you know I, I think it's a it's a good land for them uh, down the road after you get him. You know, he's probably gonna need a year, a redshirt year, a year in the program. Uh, to physically get where they need him to be to play linebacker, but um, I like it. I, I think yeah. it's I think it's a good fit. I think it matches kind of who they are and who they want to be. Um, 
in the middle of that defense at that that strong side outside linebacker spot the guy that covers the tight end covers the running back um i would rather not see michael pitts running down the field trying to cover a tight end no, he, he did an okay job. He, actually, yeah, the coverage him, was good. That guy's just I want just him huge. Going, going forward, not, not backward. Yeah. <laughs> that, that happened twice in that UConn game, and it was like, is that Pitts? Who, yeah. Who is running with that guy? Um, quickly, basketball. Uh, been to a couple practices. Um, unfortunately, the way that their schedule has been has kind of been counterintuitive to what my schedule has been. Um, how about this Monday? I, I had to miss Monday cause, uh, cause Kelly had a doctor's appointment. Uh, part of the, uh, part of the transplant process is basically your immune system is wiped out. So there she has, she's basically a baby right now, uh, her immune system. She had to go to the doctor and get six immunizations. And it sounds exciting. Yeah. She, she couldn't sleep. Or Monday because she felt terrible and she's like now I get it now I get why every when you take the baby to the doctor for immunizations that child is miserable for two days she's like I feel terrible <laughs> not that it's a laughing matter but she's doing much better now um, six immunizations and she has to get five the next time she goes I'm like that sounds terrible um, but I have been down a little bit um, I, I think my biggest takeaway uh, and, and I was down there yesterday. A lot of yesterday was defense uh, installing, you know, some of the things that they're going to do defensively, uh, working on their base press, working on how to fall back from that press, what the defense they're going to fall back into is. Um, generally, not a surprise. It'll be similar to what we've seen in the past and what we, we saw with Louisville when they used that two two one press. They fall back into the matchup zone, the 25 defense. Um I'm really impressed now guys like Trevor Moore and Keith Williams, I think are starting to take some ownership. I think it is. And I don't think this really set in until practice started. I think, you know, when you go through skill development and and you're doing workouts and it's not, there's not much five on five. I don't think the realization that, that Gary and Jake weren't walking through that door had really set in. And I think when practice starts and it's starting, you know, you're really preparing for the season and thing, you know, you're installing offense, you're installing defense, you're playing five on five. Things are, are getting, you know, getting a lot more ramped up. I think it's set in. And I, I, I was re- th- like yesterday, I was really impressed with Trevor Moore because a lot of people know, I, you know, I, I'm a big Trevor guy. I think he's got a great personality. Um but I thought at times he was still, you know, a 17, 18-year-old kid last year where he's kind of like laughing during practice and not fully dialed in on every minute of, of every drill. Uh, and I saw a different guy yesterday. And I've seen a lot of that from Keith as well. And I think that's big for this team because, as we've talked about, Jaron Cumberland and Kane Broom aren't overly loud, overly outgoing you know, in-your-face kind of guys. Trey Scott is the guy most likely to fill that role, but you can't have just one voice, I don't think, in that locker room. You need some more. And and I like seeing some of these guys that are in their second year, maybe in their third year. Uh, Nizier Brooks is another one that's being more vocal. 
Um, I like to see that those guys are starting to take some ownership and understanding. If I don't get it together and I don't, I don't play really well, this team's going to struggle. And I think that's the biggest thing I've taken away from the first week is seeing those guys really kind of be more, be more alert, be more, you know, dialed in, not just, you know, in five on five, but throughout a two and a half hour practice. And when you're, when you're new, that's not easy to do. Uh, but as you've been around, you start to understand it. Now you're starting to see those guys really pick that up. Um, I like that so far. And Darren Cumberland's been really, really good so far. So that's a that's very much a positive. Needs to continue for five more months. Yeah, as long as he's really, really good for five more months, everything's going to be okay. Uh, I, I, there was an NBA scout I met. I was uh, chatting with on Tuesday. He has the same concerns. They they just don't have the scoring pop around the rim that they've had the past couple years, and they've got to find a way to win a different way. And, you know, that that's say what you will about Mick Cronin. He's had a lot of different types of rosters since he's been here at Cincinnati over 12 years. This one is just another one that, that is, is unlike probably anything he's had before. And you're, you're probably going to have to see more pressing, more trying to get teams out of their comfort zone, trying to get teams to where they're not starting their offense until there's 15 seconds left on the shot clock. Um, you know, trying to, to create some more stuff, create some more turnovers. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of where we're at. I mean, there's still not a ton of live action going on. Like I said, like, like yesterday was a lot of defensive install. Um, so there, you know, you're playing five on five, but the emphasis is on running the press, right? It's not on just, you know, up and down, five-on-five, five-on-five, you know, free-flowing, like, scrimmage-type action. That's just not – we're not to that point yet. Hopefully that's coming soon. Um, But that's kind of what I got. I don't know. You got any questions on the basketball team for me before we get out of here? I don't think so. I was very happy to see that uh, the new – Cincy Queen City Bar is going to be directly behind my seat. There you go. That's important. So that, that uh, I'm very excited about that. I've heard there's gonna there's gonna potentially be one or two selections from Tafts there as well. Oh, I oh. I, I almost forgot. I can't forget. This is important. Yeah. We'd like to welcome on Trace Pountas as a sponsor of the BCJ podcast. They sell, your, they sell freshly roasted gourmet coffee shipped directly to you. The coffee beans are roasted to order your order and shipped out immediately. Every bag of beans we ship to you has the roast date clearly printed on it. You know your coffee is fresh. Uh, as I have mentioned on this podcast, my wife is generally, uh, she's a coffee drinker, but she never made coffee at home. So the only time she'd really have coffee is if she stopped at Starbucks while she was going into the office one day or she was coming home or she was a Kroger and she hit Starbucks or, you know, hit a, hit a coffee spot. Since they've started shipping Trace Puntas coffee here to the, the house, almost every day there's a pot of coffee downstairs. That's how good this stuff is. Uh, you can find it two easy ways. The way I recommend, go to their website, tracepontas.com slash coffee, www.tresponta.com slash coffee. Go to... 
the checkout page after you, you you sign up for a subscription you get freshly roasted beans sent to you every one two or four weeks it's your choice when you sign up for a subscription you save 10 percent. but listeners of the bcj podcast get an extra 10 percent off by using the code bearcats at checkout when buying a coffee subscription this means you get a total of 20 percent off every bag of coffee in your subscription with this code like i said enter it at checkout they ship directly to you, freshly roasted coffee. That's the coffee that tastes the best. There's a huge difference between drinking coffee that has been freshly roasted versus even just a few weeks old. All the coffee you find in your grocery store and even gourmet food stores has been sitting there for weeks. Trace Pontas offers a unique opportunity to drink coffee immediately after it has been roasted and shipped directly to your home. www.trespontas.com slash coffee. Enter Bearcats at checkout. You'll save 20% off. Um, one last thing, Mick on the road today. Uh, kind of a new name um, popping up on the radar, Myron Gardner. Uh, as I put on the website, what I know, Coach Savino, or Co- Coach uh, Jackson went to see him last week um, up at Spire Academy outside of Cleveland. Uh, from what I've heard of that, that open gym, the kid pretty much had his way with Rocket Watts. Uh, who is a top 60 guard that's committed to Michigan State. Um, All-name all team. Yeah, Rocket Watts is a hell of a name. A hell of a name. Uh, but that, you know, that, that kind of had him buzzing. So Kernan went up and checked him out today. He's got offers from Xavier, Minnesota, and Georgetown. Um, the Bearcats, uh, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, if we hear an offer pops out here in the next couple days, I would think they're trying to speed that process up and maybe uh, – See if they can get him in the fold. Um, but that's pretty much all I got. Hopefully, um, I know, I think we're having media day for basketball on the 8th, which is Monday. Um, I believe so. Yeah, that's the plan, unless something changes on their end. Uh, so we'll have a lot of interviews, a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff with Coach, uh, a lot of stuff with uh, the returning players. Um, as we get ready, uh, we're four weeks away, four weeks away from heading back into the brand new fifth third arena, which, uh, the new, uh, our house, 2018, the new, uh, hard hat Wednesday came out and it's, the place is looking like it's almost done, Dave. Dude, how, how about those doors on the lockers? Pretty sweet. <laughs> those, are, oh, those things are bad. Those things are sweet. Uh, with the city skyline kind of etched into them, and then the 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 monitor uh, up above the locker with their names. Um, the film room looks amazing. Uh, the the bars, uh, all the food. Um, are you going to be getting chicken and waffles from uh, from Taste of Belgium at any games? Um, I'm sure at some point I will. I, I plan on. Uh... Trying all of the new accommodations. Are you a big boy guy? Oh, definitely. Definitely a big boy guy. Daughter loves it. Yeah, them. I mean, I'm I'm pretty much uh, sure we'll we'll try everything at some point. I'm, I'm sure a bunch of people will take the exhibition game against Tusculum as a chance to get in there early. You know, walk around before the game starts. Maybe do some, you know, walking around in the second half, stuff like that. 
So, um, yeah, I mean, seems like it's it's just flown by, you know. Yeah. Play a whole year at NKU, and we're a month month away from another basketball season. So, it's exciting, and it's exciting with just the way that the football team is playing. There's, you know, there should be a lot of buzz around UC athletics. Uh, a little breaking news for all you uni uniform geeks out there this week is red on black on black i like it which this like could it. be a great uniform game because Tulane has some those helmets are outstanding awesome threads that they they put together uh on a weekly basis so we could could have a very cool cool uniform game yeah i i i know a lot of people were critical of those helmets i thought the helmets were awesome maybe i'm crazy Oh, I loved them. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they'll go white on white with UC going black on black. So you'll have the white on white with the light blue and the olive green, and we'll see what they do with helmets. But it it should be a a good look Saturday. We're getting uh, Cajun fare at the uh, Simone tailgate. Oh, yes. Yes. The the tailgate is New Orleans-themed this week, so we'll be having some jambalaya. I'll be making some muffalata sandwiches are you a you an olive tapenade guy oh yeah okay love love the pickle pickled veg with the olives um so yeah should be should be good another noon game so nothing like jambalaya at nine thirty in the morning what's the uh over under on uh alcohol intake how many cans of beer will dave simone manhandle oh, I, I don't know what, what, what are you setting the over under at homecoming pretty big game um, are the Bengals at home Sunday? Do you have to? They t- are. So you got to kind of manage the weekend. Well, I mean, not really. Okay, <laughs> I go. I go. I go. Eight point five. Oh man, that's, that's you going under? I'm, I'm guessing that would be an under, but you never know. It depends on how many Jello shots. <laughs> I didn't see those busted. I might I might have left before those popped out uh, for the Ohio U game. Oh no, they they weren't there because it was Oktoberfest, and my aunt. Oh, she's wasn't the, at the game. she's the she Jello shot the, master. Yeah, she's mm-hmm. so they will be. I'm sure they will be back this week. All right. Well, I will see you bright and early on yeah. Saturday morning uh, as soon as I can get to my parking spot after the parade ends. Yeah. That's uh, the parking. The par- the parade goes right by where they have the media park, uh, so I can't get in there too early. But uh, last week I was there right as you got there, so my timing was impeccable. The Simone tailgate wasn't even set up yet when I was coming up the steps. Nope. Great timing. Um, ah, that's all I got. I don't have anything else to you. I don't think so. That wraps it up. He's Dave Simone. I'm Chad Brendel. We will see you next week as a, a double podcast next week for the bye week. We will have our normal show on Wednesday with Justin Berg as we'll start getting ready for the basketball season. I'm sure we'll do a, uh, a brief look back at uh, the Tulane game and then get, uh, you know, probably 40, 45 minutes of basketball talk in next Wednesday. And then next Saturday, October 13th, join us at Tass Alehouse for our BCJ podcast live show with the legend, Tony Pike.
We'll see you next week. It's the VCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.